The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you believe that life and business success only happens when you are young and hungry? Think about some of the most famous entrepreneurs who achieve their greatest success later in life after a few trials and setbacks. Welcome to Second Wind Success with your host, Gene Garino. Get ready to take the journey. The best in life is just ahead. Here's Gene Garino. All right, all right. Welcome to Second Wind Success. This is Gene Garino, your host with your co-host, Carolyn C.J. Matthews. Good to have you with us here this week. We are excited. We have been talking about for two weeks this guest that we've got here, and we're so excited because the stars have aligned, the clouds have cleared, the weather's good, God willing, and everything's going to work technologically and distance-wise and volume-wise. Everything's going to be great. So this show, Second Wind Success, is all about helping baby boomers discover their second wind in business and in life. You know, sometimes we, we just start doing. We, we stop thinking about why we do what we do. And we go through life and we have a career. And sometimes things happen the way we want or they happen the way we thought we wanted them to happen. But then life goes on, things happen, and we just kind of lose track. And sometimes we need to just stop, pause, and think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then realistically, some of you have reached your goals and you didn't even realize it because... You stop focusing on them. You're just doing what you're doing. You're on a wheel, a rat wheel, a hamster wheel, and you're just running, 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 and you're not quite sure when you're going to get off. Uh, I talk to a lot of people all over the country, and I ask them, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? And it's a question that just kind of stumps them, and they, they are wondering, why am I even asking that? Of course I'm doing it to make money, or of course I'm doing it to get to that retirement goal. And I'm like, well, why? And the reality is a lot of people have already reached their goal. If they want to retire, they could do it today if they just repositioned. Or some people are living in a location where all they need to do is just liquidate assets here, move to another location, and they could have the lifestyle that they always wanted. I have some, some friends, some cousins who are moving from San Diego in a high-priced market to the East Coast in South Carolina. And from one location to the other, just by selling a house in one location, they can actually retire and live free and clear very comfortably on the other side of the country in a lifestyle that they actually have been wanting their entire life, but when they just looked at it a little bit differently. And today's guest, he's in a whole other part of the world, and he's looked at things a whole lot differently, but we're going to jump right into it because we've got a show today that I think is going to be very interesting to all of our listeners here. So, CJ, I know we've been talking about this for a while. Today's topic... Mm. One of my favorite, one of my favorite, we're going to talk about the two most important food groups, chocolate <laughs> and coffee. <laughs> and, and not necessarily in that order for those of you that like your coffee before your chocolate, but, you know, if you have uh-huh. coffee and chocolate and actually some red wine. So, Dave, you know, you've got to oh, get yes. some red wine happening there, too. But, you know, those yeah. two, and we're going to have to add a third food group in there, I think, some red wine. But we've got Mr. David Sewell right here, and he's on the line with us. And you're, right now, if I'm not mistaken, you're calling in from Panama. Is that correct? Yes, that's yes, yes, correct, Gene. I'm calling in from Boquete, Panama, where the uh, 
stars have aligned, but the weather may not cooperate. Uh, we're, uh, it's rainy season here, and it's uh, some fairly heavy rain in the background, and you might even hear a little bit of thunder, for which I'll apologize in advance, but I can't control oh, I like it. See, I'm in Arizona. We don't get a lot of either one of those, so that'd be pretty fun to hear, actually. Isn't it funny? It's all perspective. You know, somebody else, rainy season, and I'm like, ooh, ooh bring it on. So coffee and chocolate. You know, we've got enough time for I want to hear the story. How did you get to where you're at? But first, before we go there, where did you start? When you first started, when you were, when you were a younger man than you are today, what was your first career? Where did you start? I started out as eight, at 18 years old in the Navy. There you um, go. I joined the Navy in 1968, um, partly as a reason to avoid student loan debt and be able to earn some money while I was in the Naval Reserve to start with, and that guaranteed a full-time job every summer. You got paid a fairly decent rate, wage, which you could save 100% of because everything else was provided, of course, by the military. And then you were also allowed to work during the winter when you were back at home in school um, at the Naval Reserve Unit, and they paid you to do that. So the combination of both of those allowed me to get through the first four years of my undergrad uh, without any student debt at all. Um, I did owe some time, which, of course, was four years of service after that uh, to pay them back. So that took care of the first eight years. Uh, from the time I was 18 on to 26, I re-upped for another tour after the first eight years and did a, a total time of 12 years, finally ending up as a combat officer in a, in a Navy destroyer. Wow. Well, thank you for your service. And I know a lot of people can relate to that, having their, not me, but they've been in the service. They went through that experience. So when you came out after 12 years, now you're about 30 years old. What kind of career did you move into at that point? I left the Navy knowing that I wanted to be in the business world, so I immediately went and took a master's degree in business administration. So I applied for the MBA. Um, I didn't get in because of my marks, which were certainly never stellar. I'm a solid C-plus student and have always been and will continue to be probably. Um, but well, that's, that's good enough no, for precedent, so that's good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That'll do, right? Um, I got in because I had some stripes on my arm, mm -hmm. and they knew that we had leadership ability, or at least had been taught the skills of leadership, whether we hoisted it in or not, I don't know. But that, plus my age of being 30, when most of the other students were coming right out of undergrad school at 24 and going on to their master's, helped the school round out the class with uh, people that had uh, time in life. So that, mm. uh, that next two years was spent 100 hours a day studying uh, to get the MBA. I'll tell you, they can lay the work on. And their biggest task is to figure out if you're smart enough to figure out how to get it done and only do what's important. You know, that's interesting because back a number of years ago, the idea of an MBA, that is different than it is today. It almost seems like a lot of people have it today, whereas back then, you made a conscious decision to go into business where a lot of others would go into being an engineer or a doctor or something else. You went into being a business person. Was that uh, predicated on something? Was there some influence that got you there? Not particularly. No, I had a, 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 a big interest in, in, in the business world. I, personal finance was always a strong suit of mine when it was, even when I was younger. I bought my first home when I was 22 years old and 
um, was pretty frugal with money. I understood the stock market, um, and I enjoyed personal finance, and I wanted to learn corporate finance. Finance Great. being the, the, one of the, the engines that drives the world, um, that's where I wanted to be. So to go back to school to get that degree, which was an important thing in those days, um, and it really, really was almost mandatory for you to go anywhere on the recruitment side to be considered for a, a position somewhere in a company. Um, I'm not so certain that's the case today, and nor would I probably recommend a student uh, of my age at that time following the same path today necessarily. But I wanted to learn finance, and so I did a, uh, the MBA and at the same time. I did my uh, stock market qualification. I, I studied for and passed the um, registered representative examination to become a stockbroker, so I had both those qualifications when I graduated. Got it. And then where did that take you? Did you start your own business or work for somebody else at that point? No, I went to work for somebody else. In fact, I started in the banking industry, a you know, pretty good place to start with a, for finance, and figured out very quickly that long before Kiyosaki wrote anything about a quadrant or S's and E's and B's and I's, that uh, I really didn't want to be an E, and I sure as heck didn't want to be an E in a bank. Uh, <laughs> that just wasn't for me. I left there six months later. Um, much to the chagrin of the recruiters who recruited me out of my MBA school, and I was did fortunately, I guess, receive the highest wage that was paid that year for a graduate student, and I stayed six months. I hated it. <laughs> so wow. um, I left, uh, and I went off into the entrepreneurial world, and hard to believe maybe, but the, my very first venture was I bought myself a donut shop. Uh, very interesting. So you're, you were into the food groups right on, out from the beginning when you went into to that. Now, was there any special reason why the donut shop? No, not particularly. I was away on the, in the weekend on the West Coast, and I was visiting a small island that uh, people populated for the weekends for vacation. Uh, I was dissatisfied with what I was doing. There was a for sale sign in the shop. I went in the, in the window, I went in to ask the entrepreneur or the owner what she was doing, how she was doing it, why she was selling it. Uh, she was asking a significantly larger sum of money than I was prepared to pay, but I asked her if I wrote her a check that was clear on Monday, and this is Saturday, would she sell? And she said, yeah, and she did. So a week later, I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning making a 100 dozen donuts every night uh, to put on my shelf in the morning and open my store at 6 a.m. Wow. How long did you do that for? That's early. I'm a, I'm yeah, a late person. Early. <laughs> I, it was early, um, and I had a, my oldest boy was born then. He was only, gee, four or five, six months old. So I took him with me to the donut shop and put him in the crib in the back room, and we made donuts together. He slept quite a bit, of course, at that age, but when he'd wake up, toss a half a donut into his crib, and he would eat that, and he was very satisfied. So it went on for two, went on for two years, actually. Uh, that's pretty funny. So you, you fed him donuts, and uh, he did that till he was, what, 18 or so? <laughs> no, actually, he was only like two years old, and we sold the, we sold the donut shop. Uh, I'm joking. So you, you did donuts, and I just find that fascinating because you saw an opportunity. You realized you weren't cut out, if you will, to work for somebody else. You didn't want to be that type of a, uh, in that position. You saw an opportunity and said, well, let me do this. And I think a lot of people stop themselves at that point. They know what they don't want to do, but they're not quite sure what they want to do. But you walked through the door. And what did that lead to after the donut shop? Well, I had, I had also wanted to be in the real estate business. 
at the time, so I decided that I would go and take my the real estate salesman's training course. Um, I went to a real estate brokerage firm and asked what it took to become a realtor, and they told me a license. So, okay, well, how do I get a license? The guy told me how to do that. I applied, uh, took the course, um, spent about five weeks doing a 14-week course. I didn't want to waste a lot of time, so I just did all the exercises and filled them in and sent it in. Got my license and came back to um, the brokerage firm, and I said, okay, I got my license, now what? And he hired me and uh, went on from there. I really enjoyed the opportunity to be my own business entrepreneur inside an established organization that could teach me things that I didn't know how to do. I I had a bent for sales uh, all my life, which I got gratefully from my father, who was a salesman, pure and true, putting bread on the table for the entire part of his, most of his life. So I enjoyed that part, and I, I loved real estate. And the real estate market was in good shape at the time. Uh, things were aligned for me to do that. The broker was a great guy. He was willing to teach me how to, to sell real estate, but more importantly, he was interested in teaching me how to list real estate. And uh, I became a very good person at listing real estate under his tutelage, and uh, that paid off rather handsomely. Uh, so I carried on in the uh, real estate business for uh, a number of years uh, at that point in the mid-'80s. Now, we're almost where you're at today, this combination of business and real estate. But before we go all the way to where you're currently at, what was the next segue? Because you went from donuts to becoming a licensed real estate agent. And what happened after that? I moved on. uh, I I fell into the um, trap of a corporate job. Um, I was offered a, 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 (coughs) a very, what I thought, Interesting job opportunity in a public company that was in major cities across the, across the country, but had a new idea that had come from their board of directors, and it involved finance. And what it really mm-hmm. was was venture capital inside a corporation where we were going to, if I joined the team, was going to be a significant player in the finance side of selling uh, the concept of raising $55 million, which is the first deal I was ever involved in on the venture capital side, to advance this company's fortunes, already public, but to go on and uh, do a project in the cable TV industry uh, that this company could profit by. So I got enticed nicely by the big house and the car and the, and the stock options and the bonus plan and mm-hmm. expense account, and, and I got to run my own gig, so I ended up with 120 people working for me um, in that area, and that wasn't that scary to me in those days because that was the size of the divisions I was running in the military, and the combat department in the Navy was, you know, 80 people on a destroyer, etc., so that wasn't terribly scary, and so that's what I went on to do for the next few years. And And that's interesting because... The, it enticed you, and yet you called it a trap, and the trap of working for somebody else with the being comfortable in what you knew and also the, the 
enticement of the money and the stability of that. And I'm sure by this point there's family and you mentioned kids and so on and all of us can get wrapped up in that. There was a lot of risk that you took in your life from signing up for the military all the way through a donut shop, all the way through let me quit the stable job that I've worked in essence all my life to get to now starting something new and now let me go ahead and be a real estate agent. So there's so many things that you went through. You have a little bit of a different bend than a lot of people but then I love what you just said there too, and those of you listening here to Second Wind Success, the first thing you went out to do in that corporate job was to raise $55 million. That's a lot of money today, let alone a few years ago, but that's a big chunk of change. And a lot of times people, when they're looking to do something, money can scare them and raising capital from other people can scare them. But you did that, yeah, and you, you did that to some level of success, but then you found that wasn't fulfilling to you. So at some point you moved on from that. I was a member of a team, and the, the, the team, of course, is a, a very important concept in any entrepreneur, entrepreneur's life. And it was a, se- a very senior executive team, and, and road shows were done by the president and the chief financial officer, and I was the chief operating officer of the division that was going to deliver this product, so I had a integral part of the program, and I've spoken on numerous occasions where uh, you've got a team and everything's great, but delivery is the big part, promising things is one thing, delivering the same promise is another thing. So that team was really well put together. But mm-hmm. it was making money for the company. I had stock options and things like that, but it was making money for the company and not as much money as I wanted to make for myself, which was not necessarily a driving reason for leaving, but it was one of the considerations. Got it. You know, one of the things that, again, second win success, finding your second win in business and in life, is all about is discovering and discovering what it is that you may want to do, what that purpose is, that passion is in life and business and what it is that really turns you on and those things that excite you. Because I really do believe that there's something that each one of us has has inside of us that we want to do. And if you love what you do, and if you really want to do that, that others are going to want to be a part of what you do. In just a bit, when we come back, you're going to share with us what you're doing now. And I think people are going to be absolutely fascinated about where you're at, what you're doing. And I'm just going to give a hint, chocolate and coffee, chocolate and coffee. This is Second Wind Success. Gene Garino, your host. We're going to be right back. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hey, this is Gene from Second Wind Success. If you've been thinking about mom, dad, are they safe? Are they comfortable? Are they able to take care of themselves? Well, maybe you're ready for assisted living for mom or dad. I know you don't want to put them in a home because if you're like me, when mom and dad needed help, you didn't want to just put them in a big box facility with 100, 200 people. No, you they lived in a home and you want to keep them in a home. Well, I found a solution. It's called Sweetwater Pines, upscale assisted living in a very, very comfortable home setting right near Scottsdale Road and Cactus in a beautiful, gorgeous home. If you're looking for 24-hour care where they're safe and taken care of and loved on, all the food, all the medication management, everything they need, and a great place for you to come and visit as well, well, there it is for you. If you'd like a tour just to check it out and see what it's like, give a call, 602-430-5382. That's Sweetwater Pines at 602-430-5382. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Hey, this is Gene from Second Wind Success. The boomers are here. You can't stop this silver tsunami. It's here And this is your opportunity. If you'd like to learn how to turn a single-family home into a cash flow machine with residential assisted living, the Residential Assisted Living Academy is your opportunity. What we do is we show you how to turn a single-family home into a cash flow machine. To learn more, call 480-704-3065. That's 480-704-3065. Or come to our website at ralacademy.com. That's ralacademy.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Second Wind Success with Gene Garino. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to Gene at RALacademy.com. That's G-E-N-E at RALacademy.com. Now back to Second Wind Success. All right, all right. Welcome back. Gene Garino and your co-host, Carolyn C.J. Matthews, here with Second Wind Success. We have our very special guest with us here, Mr. David Sewell, calling in from Boquete in Panama. How you doing, David? Doing very well. Thank you very much. Good. Now, you've been, we've gone through the whole path of where you started from, from as a young man, you went and you became, you started off in the Navy and then you did your time, you went to school, got your MBA, you went all the way through, started to work with, in the corporate world, banking and finance, found out that wasn't for you. Then you went on and worked in a, in a bigger, and we just got to the point where you were working in a, in a corporate position, raising capital, and this is back when cable TV was kind of, I'm not going to say in its infancy, but the point is it was more at the beginning than it is where it is today, and you were at that point where you were trapped, and that was the word that you used. You were in a great position from a corporate standpoint, getting paid big money, overseeing people, had all the, the corporate trappings and trappings of success, but it wasn't quite what you had in mind. So then from there, you did your own thing. So tell us about that. I've always liked making something out of nothing. It's been a driving force for me all through my life. And uh, so uh, it came time to part company with the corporate side because it just wasn't what I wanted to do, although the finance and the product itself was very interesting. People were very cool. It's just that I wanted to be on my own. And mm. so we did a small raise uh, compared to the $55 million. We did a $2.1 million tax-deferred limited partnership, uh, put that money to, to work in five of uh, my own cable TV systems so we could operate, got our licenses, uh, built something from nothing where nothing exists, built the cable systems, operated the cable systems, and it was enjoyable. And I kept on going for a number of years uh, simply taking advantage of opportunities where there wasn't much going on that I thought I could add some capital to um, and some background experience that I'd gained over the years and make something out of nothing. So we did quite a bit of that over the 90s, the cable, the cable TV business, and on my own was late 80s, and then through the 90s we did quite a bit of that. 
um, all the way through uh, late 90s, through a couple of market corrections and tech wrecks and two things like that. But managed to survive all of that and uh, into the 2000s, continuing on financing small businesses, my own small businesses, other people's small businesses. I'm not a that last event in the 80s was my last hurrah in the corporate world. I'm not an institutional kind of guy. I'm an individual investor kind of guy. So we did uh, deals with people who were putting three, five million dollars together to run their own deal, run their own thing, do their own business. And so I did that mm. for good 10, 12, 13, 13 years straight. So, you know, as we go through, I mean, you're being very matter-of-fact about it, and that's the way you are, but you had a lot of ups and downs, I can imagine, and there was some success, but you never really hit that big, huge home run. But I want to seg- segue forward to where you're at today, because when we met, you and I, about two years ago, all I know you as is Panama and coffee. So how did you get where you're at today? How did you discover Panama and why coffee? I traveled quite a bit. Um, I, I left the uh, I left for the offshore world. Let's put it that way. In, in, in 1990, um, and have spent quite a bit of time away from my home country of Canada um, since 1989. And doing that, I've I've been in a, a variety of businesses that have. Um, taken me around the world, other than the fact that I was in the Navy as well. And I've, I've learned where I want to be and where I don't want to be, and I've spent a lot of time in Latin America, and I've spent a lot of time in Mexico um, looking at business opportunities there, finally deciding there's no rule of law in Mexico, so that wasn't the place that I was going to raise money from other people and invest mm. on, our, on our collective behalf. It wasn't going to work. Uh, moved on to Costa Rica and spent some time in Costa Rica in the late 90s. Um, early 2000s, did a real estate development there, was moderately successful, largely because September 11th happened right in the middle of it, which makes capital acquisition kind of difficult. Um, So that was a a good test. Um, From there, I had traveled uh, south to Argentina to try and see what it was like there. Uh, That's one messed up country. Um, mm. You probably don't probably don't want to be there any any for any length of time, um, and they have snow. And I just don't you know I don't do snow. I left North America or left Canada, particularly looking for lower taxes and warmer weather, and uh, that's what I wanted to do. So I didn't find that in Argentina. Came back up further back north, tested out Panama in the early 2000s. Wasn't quite ready for it. It wasn't quite ready for anybody then because the canal had just changed hands from the Americans to the Panamanians and the country was in a bit of a turmoil. So I went back and spent a couple more years back in the U.S., finally retiring from the venture capital side of the smaller businesses that I was financing in 2006. And my wife, Deborah, and I and our two cats moved to Panama. Wow. So when you moved to Panama, was it really to retire or was there... You don't seem to be the kind of guy that just rests. So did you go there to retire, or was there a business reason right off the bat, or did you just kind of segue into that because you were looking for something to do? Yeah, I was looking for something to do. There was, uh, I, was done. I was going to be done. Um, mm-hmm. We are, are real big fans of Jimmy Buffett, and we love his music, and so we're li- listening to Changing Our uh, Attitude by Changing Our Latitude, and et cetera, et cetera. All oh, these parenthood. songs. 
He's a parrothead. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. And, and, you know, one of the songs says, you know, there's booze in the blender and et cetera, et cetera. And so we moved to the beach and got a house on the beach and there was some booze in the blender. And, you know, that got a little bit long in the tooth after a while. Um, what happens with the tide and the, the beach is the tide goes out. Six hours later, it comes back. Six hours later, it goes out. Six hours later, it comes back. Well, that's 24 hours. What are we going to do tomorrow? Well, let's do the same thing. That got really boring very quickly. And a couple of business opportunities had popped up. Panama was booming at the time. 11% GDP. Uh, everything you could imagine was in place. And it was just not my style to sit back there and watch that all go by us. So we had um, created a couple of small businesses. One was a trucking company here, and we put a... Uh, a deal together and formed a trucking company. We ran hauling cement for five years, um, trying to make something out of nothing is what I like to do, and and uh, that's what we did. So the, the time passed, and it was slowly but surely we were working our way back into doing something, and it was going to be two days a week, and then it was going to be four days a week, and then it seven days a week and then it was 11 days a week and um, so we started to think about where we wanted to go and how we were going to do that and uh, an opportunity serendipitously which is no accident um, appeared and we, we took advantage of it in the coffee business. Now to kind of bring it all full circle for people you're not out there yourself uh, planting coffee beans and growing trees and harvesting them you've taken a different route. So you explain to us basically what it is you've done in regards to the land and the farming of it, and then what part you play inside the coffee business. What we've tried, what we've, what we've, done, we've done is that we have created a model, a business model, that we thought would be interesting to investors that were probably oriented on my own experience and my age, um, I'm 67 now, and and so started the coffee business more or less when I was 64. Had a very good mentor for many years in my life that always said, "Don't let age be your cage." So that worked mm. out nicely. Always oh, listen to him. That one. <laughs> and I'm writing that down. By the way, so there's a another fellow multimillionaire who said, "David, stop working for everybody else. Do it for yourself." And those resonated around in my head quite a bit. So we had um, decided to create a business model based on the venture capital experience that would work for, surprise, the seller, the promoter, and the investor. And uh, we tested that in Columbia in 2011 and 12, structured a deal such that we would buy property, uh, either performing or uh, underperforming coffee farms, or raw land that could be, produ- could be prepared for coffee farms, subdivide that into smaller parcels and offer those smaller parcels available to individual investors. Like I said, I'm not an institution guy. To in- individual investors, it's small, it's small dollars where people can participate, minimal financial risk, which mitigate the business risk by making it a turnkey operation managed for the investor who lives in somewhere in the United States or Canada or Europe, and it certainly isn't coming down here to pick the beans um, off his trees. So it's turnkey managed, uh, which mitigates the business uh, risk. Uh, the financial side was mitigated because it was a small amount of money. It's a proven product. It's a coffee. You know, what else do you need to say? 
uh, etc. So we structured that model on a Ben Franklin close on myself saying, but I invest in this, and if I was to put it together, could I deliver it? And I've always been very strong on the promotion side and the delivery side. So this is what we, we formulated, and it worked out nicely. We offered the parcels at $10,000 each, which was a nominal sum in the, in the venture capital business. If you're generally going to invest in a passive uh, investment where your turnkey management's in place for you, it's a lot more money than that. So we kept the risk really low, the entry level low. People could put their toe in the water and see how it felt. Some of the, A lot of people, their first offshore investment. Um, and we sold uh, somewhere in the order of 600 half-acre parcels at 10000 apiece in the first 16 months. Fantastic. There, uh, let me ask you this. Was there an additional advantage for them? Did they, I know a lot of times people want to be able to become a resident or um, uh, in a foreign country, you know, where they don't have to leave all the time and come back in. Does this help them with that? No. Unfortunately, it, 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 there's no visa residency advantages uh, attached to it, neither in Colombia nor here. Uh, in Panama, nor in Belize, in Cacao. Um, it's a cash purchase as well. There's no leverage. There's no bank loans or anything else like that. So there really is a couple of smaller barriers, if you want to call it that, where there there is no tax incentive. There's no tax deferment. There's no tax write-offs. It's a cash deal. There's no bank financing. And there's really no um, residency or uh, visa or passport advantage to it. Now let's let's go down that path for just a minute because that's a great one, Carolyn, that you brought up and thanks for doing that, the idea of residency and so on. But on the other hand, number one, I want to make sure anybody who's listening right now, that's when you first got started. That was a number of years ago when the risk was a lot higher. Now that you've you've done this and you've proven this and, and you've been doing this for a number of years, the prices are no longer ten thousand per half acre, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, uh, the people who bought their ten thousand dollar half an acre parcel are quite happy with their capital gains. Because four years later, that same parcel now is eighteen thousand nine hundred dollars. Yeah, so at nineteen thousand, right? That's they've done terrifically. But what is they're also now that these are producing and you've gotten much more of a proven model than you did before. Those people took a huge, a bigger risk than somebody today. What kind of return can somebody get on their half acre? No guarantees, but what are we looking at? So the pro forma internal rate of return is uh, in the order of 12%. It's calculated um, over a 20-year period, which is common in the agricultural business when you're doing a discounted cash flow model. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cash flows are, are taken over 20 years, discounted at an appropriate discount rate to reflect the risk, and then your initial investment is taken into account as the first cash flow, negative cash flow. That number approximates around 12% based on the way we've calculated it and, and the numbers that are in the coffee business at mm-hmm. the $18,900 price. And that alone, I mean, in, in most countries and most economic situations, is a fine return, especially because it's totally turnkey. I mean, you have tours where people can go and see what they're, what they're investing in, but you're not expecting <laughs> anybody to go out there and pick the cherries or help in any way. It's totally turnkey. It certainly is. It's totally turnkey, and, and you, you wouldn't want to be doing that. That's a pretty tough job. 
So we have developed in our, in our program a strong socially sustainable pillar, if you want to call it that. We believe in the three economic, the three pillars of uh, sustainability in a business, and one being economic, of course. If you don't make money, you can't stay to play. Mm-hmm. And if you are environmentally conscious, it means more than just saying we're green. And then finally, there's the social side, which most people ignore, or a lot of venture capital does not take into account, is the people who do the work. And the work is not particularly pleasant when it's pouring rain and you're standing in the field picking one cherry at a time because that's what you have to do in the specialty coffee business. So we have a social program that dedicates a full 20% of the gross operating profit from each farm into a pool that is dedicated to the employees, all the way from the general manager to the to the youngest kid at 18 years old working on the farm, swinging a machete and clearing the the brush. Everybody gets a little piece of the action. Everybody gets better pay. Everybody gets a better uniform to wear. Everybody gets better equipment to, to work with. Um, it, it's, a, it's a nice program. It pays back to the people who are doing the really, really hard work that are making you and me our, our internal rate of return at the bottom line sitting at home doing something else on a turnkey basis. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Now, before we go any farther, because I do want to make sure that everybody who is hearing us, and we're going to talk more about this and what you've gotten into next with the cacao, and that means chocolate for the rest of us here. But if somebody wants to get more information about what it is that you're doing and how they might be able to participate or do a tour, how do they reach you or what website can they go to? The best thing is to go directly to the website. There's a plethora of information up there, and you can get all the information you need to get started um, with free uh, FAQs, frequently asked questions, brochure, 10 or 12 pages that gives you an idea of what the overall business is all about. Generally answers most of the questions we've been asked over the last five years from a few hundred investors who are participating in the program. There's a coffee uh, there's a report uh, for that adds more information to it. You get a, a, a spaced out set of emails that explain the details to you, all of which is of no obligation simply by putting. Uh, so you can then do www.internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's www.internationalcoffeefarms.com. Got it. Dub, 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 International Coffee Farms with an S dot com. Well, we're going to come right back with Dave, and he's going to share with us the next venture, which I think you guys, as fascinating as that is, and what an opportunity to be able to say that you're an international land investor, that you're also not just making a great rate of return, but you're also helping other people. And I think that social consciousness is very, very important. And you can do a tour. You can go there and see this land. You can see it for yourself. And I know myself, having been to Panama twice, it's fascinating. It's it's a very interesting place to be. And from an entrepreneur's standpoint, the opportunity is huge. But what Dave has done here, going into a foreign country, it, pulling this all together and allowing us to participate on this level is just a phenomenal opportunity. So I'm going to encourage you all who are listening, internationalcoffeefarms.com. Check it out for yourself and get those questions answered. This is Second Wind Success, where we help baby boomers discover that second wind in business and in life. I'm your host, Gene Garino, with your co-host, Carolyn C.J. Matthews, with our special guest, David Sewell. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Hey, this is Gene from Second Wind Success. The boomers are here. You can't stop this silver tsunami. It's here, and this is your opportunity. If you'd like to learn how to turn a single-family home into a cash flow machine with residential assisted living, the Residential Assisted Living Academy is your opportunity. What we do is we show you how to turn a single-family home into a cash flow machine. To learn more, call 480-704-3065. That's 480-704-3065. Or come to our website at ralacademy.com. That's ralacademy.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Hey, this is Gene from Second Wind Success. Have you ever wondered how mom is doing today? I mean, you're at work, you're comfortable, but is she? Is she okay today? Your mom, your dad, she may need help, he may need help, but you're not sure what to do. I know you're not ready to put mom in a home. Nobody ever is. But here's the deal. Is she able to take care of herself? And if you're not quite sure, you're not quite ready, here's what I did. When my mom needed help, I started to look, and I didn't want a big box solution, 100, 200 people, like an apartment or hotel. I was looking for a home, and I found it. Adagio Gardens, right here in Phoenix, a comfortable home with a group of seniors my mom's own age, dad's own age, where she can be taken care of 24-7. Whether they need medication management or housekeeping and all the food, everything is provided in a very comfortable home life. So if you're looking for a safe place for mom where she can be taken care of, check out Adagio Gardens. I did. Give them a call, 602-430-5382. Adagio Gardens, 602-430-5382. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Second Wind Success with Gene Garino. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to gene at ralacademy.com. That's G-E-N-E at ralacademy.com. Now back to Second Wind Success. All right, all right. This is Gene Garino, your host at Second Wind Success with your co-host, Carolyn C.J. Matthews. And we have our special guest all the way from Boquete in Panama, Mr. David Sewell, from the International Coffee Farms. And we just learned all about coffee and how you can get involved to be an international landowner in a very economical way, in a very simple way, in a turnkey way. You know, I think a lot of people here in the U.S., they're getting involved in real estate, and they, everybody wants to get involved. And I was actually just did a, a training myself on real estate investing, and you walk through the numbers, and there's a lot of people spending a lot of time working really hard to get 8 or 10%. And what you just described to us there, Dave, is the idea of where somebody can be an international land investor, turnkey, doing something fun like coffee, something socially conscious, fun, something we're all doing anyway, and be making more than that. No guarantees, but you know, higher than 8 to 10%, maybe 12%, and something very economical where it's, I think you said, what, $19,000 they can own a lot? Yes, that's correct. For $18,000 you own the lot, which is a half an acre parcel turnkey managed for you. Um, and the other $900 in the total cost is uh, simply the pass-through of the transfer taxes that the country charges to register the property in your name. Wow. 
So then you're an international landowner, you and Goldfinger. It's great. So it's good. <laughs> but there's, there's another one. You have now segued from the just the coffee beans. And also, I want to make sure we're clear, too. When, when we go to the local place, like I, I love how you refer to some of the local uh, coffee places. I'm not, we're not going to name names, Starbucks. But you, you have names for them, like, uh, you know, Starburnt or something like that. I forget the name you use. It's kind of a funny name. Oh, Charbuck, there it is. But, uh, you know, we all have a different taste. But you're not doing the retail side. You're doing the, the beans, and you're doing the core side. So I know that part of it is it's just like the grapes in, in you know, Napa Valley where they come and taste the raw product, and that's what they do. And you're doing these high-level gourmet coffee beans, and those, those high-level beans are being used for these very, very high-priced products. So it's a fascinating business. Go to to learn more international coffee farms with an s.com to learn more but now you've segued into cacao so tell us about the next venture here that you're doing where it's not the coffee beans but it's the cacao tell us about that well we um, have a successful business model built around the uh, coffee business Uh, we have been looking for somewhere else to scale that business model so that we could do something different but the same that's based on the uh, fact that coffee and the and the way we run the business works. So we had been looking for a, a while, maybe a year or two at Belize, and uh, we are associated with a group of people, a number of people in the uh, real estate industry that have uh, strong ties to Belize. So it was uh, something that we have been interested in and looking at at length. We discovered there's another $100 billion industry out there. Coffee itself is a $100 billion, with a B, industry, second only to oil and the amount of trading going on in dollar terms. That's wow. coffee. But uh, wow. cow or is another big, huge business, $100 billion business. Who knew? Um, we're looking at that thinking, well, that's what we're going to say on the, on the brochure. It's coffee, stupid. I mean, let's go for it. Um, it's cacao. Let's go for it, too. I mean, it's right there in front of our faces, and it really means chocolate. So what we did is we took the business model, and I'm being a little facetious, but not much, and we took out the word coffee and stuck in the word cacao, took out the word Panama and stuck in the word Belize and hit the print button. And <laughs> we were just about there. Brilliant. So it's almost the same. It's Brilliant. almost the same. You know, we did a little different. It. We did a couple little different things, but nothing serious. We... As you accurately pointed out, we are in the green coffee business in Panama in international coffee farms. So we grow and process, manufacture, engineer and design, if you want, a very high-quality green coffee bean to be sold to other people in the world who have a skill set in taking that green bean, roasting it to a particular profile or profiles that meet the needs of their customers in their local areas, whether it be in Austria or Australia or Alaska, it doesn't matter, Uh, those people will take that green bean and finish it off into a product that they will then sell to their end users. In cacao, we did something a little different. We vertically integrated the business from the farming side, same as coffee, into a trading company side, which I'll explain a bit in a minute, all the way through to the vertically integrated mahogany chocolate store that you've seen and everybody's talking about right now that's on Ambergris Key in Belize. 
and that mm-hmm. opportunity came up because of Belize. It became a because of Ambergris Key being the number one island destination in many publications for many years. Um, and it also came up with a uh, because of a connection in business, and uh, not so serendipitous, but uh, something that we've been working together on for years. And then finally, the Hilton Hotel decided to weigh in and become the first four-star resort in Belize and the first, uh, the only uh, franchise resort in Ambergris Key or in the whole country, as a matter of fact. And the opportunity was presented to us to be able to provide chocolate for their pillows for every night for all 305 rooms for five years. Now and, I have to. You know, in. here's the thing. I, yes. I just wanted to say this. Um, one of the beautiful things of listening to him talk is he's taken all his experience and created something that not only benefits him, but everyone else that's involved in that. And uh, when we talk about second win success, we're definitely talking about that, where, you're, where you take an idea and you go and you create this um, business not only for yourself, but all the people that are benefiting from it as well. And don't let your age be your cage. That's a keeper for me. It really is. That's, I love that. Uh, we're we're going to have to use that one for sure. Don't let your age be your cage. Because, again, this second win success, discovering your second win in business and in life, this is, you know, numbers of businesses ahead. But you got started when you were in your 60s. And in your 60s, you were ready to retire. You tried to relax. You did for a while. But the tide went in and out, in and out, got bored, said, let me do something. And when you did it, but I'm just so impressed, David. I have to say that you went out and you did something enormous. I mean, for most people listening, the idea of going to a foreign country is a big move. Just moving there is one thing. But going there and saying, let me do business. Let me, let me venture into somebody else's world and do business and crack the code there. And then bring it down to a point where others, civilians, if you will, can participate in such a way is a brilliant brilliant move and I just want to applaud you for that and thank you for that because you've made it available to all of us and for those who want to get involved from that that aspect not just enjoy the product which I'm also going to put in my plug there I had the absolute pleasure and privilege to be one of the first ones to taste some of the product that you created there it was absolutely phenomenal some of the I don't want to call myself a chocolate connoisseur I just the problem is it's just so good I love chocolate so but when I was there to taste it it was phenomenal stuff and to to have it right there so fresh so pure and it's just really good. It's not like I'm. Um, it's not like you just created something that's. Eh, it's just something else. No, this is really special. And I also know from the conversations we've had and knowing a little bit about this that you're doing something much more than just a capitalistic making money or taking a big plot and chopping it up. You're helping people. And these people that are the farmers that are doing the work, they really appreciate what you've done. Uh, tell us a little bit about that side of it, the concept of helping the other people there, the workers, the farmers, the people that either sold the land to you or farming the land or the families, and that social aspect. Tell us a little bit about that. We, we do have the same socially sustainable pillar um, in, our, in our mix, for sure, and the same numbers apply 20%. The operating profits from the farms get allocated to the people that are really doing the work. We've added a, a different dimension to it this time because it's particularly appropriate to Belize. <coughs> Excuse me. Belize is, the Belize cacao industry is, I don't know what the word is, it is 
woefully underfinanced. Um, it is woefully, almost criminally um, undermanaged. It is a cycle of poverty that is fairly obvious if you're stepping, uh, if you're looking, you're outside the forest looking at the trees. If you're caught up in it, it isn't so obvious. The people that are there have been granted land by the government. They have, say, a 30-acre parcel, but one only one acre, maybe even a half, is planted in cacao. Mm. Um, they would have 450 trees on that plot of land. It'll grow four, 500 pounds of cacao. That'll grab you a princely sum of six or $700 U.S. a year to be able to raise your family. And that's just never going to happen. And then they have all of this land available that they could be growing cacao on and successfully selling it to people who would be, who should be more interested in their success, the farmer's success, than their own. So the whole industry, when I say criminally, is not. It's not. I'm not talking about creating crimes or causing crimes. It's just mm. such a shame that the people that have come along have not participated at the level they could possibly they could have to help the people so we put together a division called belize cacao traders the investors get a chunk of that profit as well as well as the farming company and as well as the chocolate company so it's vertically integrated and your business risk is quite well mitigated because of the three revenue streams the belize cacao trading company right from the get-go three months, four months ago, has been buying six or eight tons of wet cacao beans every Saturday and Sunday from the itinerant farmers out there that really don't have anywhere else to sell their small amounts of cacao to at a decent price. So they, even if they can get off this 500 pounds of cacao a year to feed their families, there's not really a very solid business out there that is financed properly that can do this for these people at a on a consistent basis. So our mm-hmm. capitalization and our funding methods allow us to be able to go in and buy these beans from these farmers. So every weekend, we're buying tons and tons of these wet beans. We offer the farmers uh, uh, 10%, 10% more than the other people in the business to induce them, obviously, to come and sell their beans to us because we need them to make chocolate of mahogany chocolate in Ambergris Key, and we will eventually sell those around the world to continue on developing the export business of cacao from Belize, which is also woefully inadequate. But we pay them a good buck for this coffee, for this chocolate. But more importantly, on top of that, they're given a chit, a paper, they're given a a receipt that gives them this 20% socially sustainable bonus on top of what is right now $1.30 a pound for their wet beans. So they get another 26 cents a pound in this piece of paper, totals $1.56 instead of the competition, which is paying $1.10 or $1.20. So they get considerably nice. more, but the dollar, the $0.26 cents is to be turned into the the Cacao Institute. We work with a group of people called the Na, Lou, hey, Dave, Um. Dave, uh, here's what I want to do is we, we're down to literally our last minute, but I want to make sure that everybody knows how to be in touch with you. I know for the coffee, they can go to internationalcoffeefarms.com. Is that where they go for the cacao, or is there a separate website? No, they would go to www.belizecacaoconsortium.com. Belizecacaoconsortium.com. 
You know, this has been absolutely fascinating, and I really appreciate you taking the time, making it here. Glad we got through the storms. But uh, Second Wind Success is all about people just like you, Dave, finding people who have discovered their second win in business and in life. You've been an inspiration, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and sharing this with us. So I just want to thank you personally for making the effort to be here, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I very much appreciate it. Don't let age be your cage. I love it. I love it. Hey, everybody, Second Wind Success is all about helping you discover your second win in business and in life. And no matter what you have done, the past is the past. And I love that. Don't let age be your cage. So whether you're 30 or 130, whatever has happened in the past is the past. Where you're going is what matters. And it's not getting there. It's the journey along the way. So decide what it is you want and enjoy that process. And the people around you love them. Be with them. Spend that time with them and never miss a moment. Never miss an opportunity. Never miss the opportunity to share with those people around you and tell them that you love them too. This is Second Wind Success, helping you discover your second win in business and in life. We thank you for the opportunity today to share with you. And this, again, has been a special opportunity to speak with Dave Sewell there in Boquete in Panama. Check it out at the Belize Cacao Consortium.com and International Coffee Farms. Com. This is Gene Garino, your host for Second Wind Success with your co-host Carolyn C.J. Matthews saying do good and do well. We'll see you very, very soon. Thank you for joining us this week. Second Wind Success with Gene Garino can be heard every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to stay the course. Good times are just ahead.